Today is Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. Today's message is called, What Comes After? Colon, a memoir of a journey, of a tale of the arising church by Pastor Nix. Amen. Go for it, Pastor Slaughter. Well, we come, if the question is whether it's a rebuke or an encouragement, it is, it is encouragement. Oh, no, rebuke them. <laughs> Who is them? Who is them? Please raise your hand. Okay, good. <laughs> Guys, we, uh, we are so honored to be here. Um, I want you to know that uh, your reputation for being on fire is merited. You guys love Jesus. Your hearts are soft. Your pastors have done a good job. Your elders have done a good job. Your families love each other. You guys have sacrificed for one another. This is the kingdom in action. This is what it looks like. There are many shows on display for you to see out there, but this is what the kingdom in action looks like. It is life on life discipleship, and it is rough, and it's hard, and it hurts, but it's worth it. It's the best. It's the best life. It really is. We're so honored to be here. I, I want to share with you that um, you, guys, uh, you guys produced Discipleship Helps, and we are benefiting from that. We have 70 people going through Discipleship Helps right now. In addition to that, we have another 30, 40 going through it at home together as families Our church is going through what you guys put forth, and for that, we are eternally indebted. We thank you so much for the hard work that you guys are doing and the seriousness with which you approach the gospel and the study of his word. We love you desperately, and we're so glad to be here tonight. Over the last um, uh, three months since the One Association, we have been getting schooled by the Holy Spirit, and we want to take you on a journey through what we've been finding in the Word. Can we go to the Word? Amen. Let's go to Isaiah 28. Amen. Isaiah 28. Fast. Wade did some sword drills growing up. Amen. Hallelujah. The one association meeting was uh, a deep blessing for us. And God did a lot. And so we're, we're really going to start, we're going to start from what happened at the one association meeting. Because we can all get together at something like that. We can worship the Lord, we can cry out, we can be unified. But how many people know that it's not always the thing that you're going through at the moment, but it's for what comes after That what we go through, it's not just about the moment, but when we stay faithful, when we hold on to righteousness, when we stand firm in holiness, it's about something that comes after. And so today we want to talk about what has come after the One Association meeting since we were last together. Uh, During the One Association meeting, uh, the Lord started doing something and stirring something in the heart of Nick and I. And at the same time, 
during worship, would you know that the Lord gave us a vision? We weren't together. We weren't standing uh, near each other. But as we were worshiping the Lord with all of you, I had this vision of the Lord beginning to put weapons in our hands. Weapons that we hadn't seen before. Weapons that were complex, but he said, no, I am calling you as a church to pick up these weapons in this area and to use them for my kingdom. And at the same time as God was dropping that into my soul, Pastor Slaughter had a vision. So the vision that I saw was, and I shared this with you guys, I don't know if you remember it, but I saw a vision of a field and the field had uh, rows on it. Like it was ready for seed. And then I saw bags of seed, uh, a vision of the bags of seed, full bags of seed. And there was a defined piece of land that was ours. And that field was ready for seeds to be planted in it. And so I saw the tools that we were going to use to plant those seeds. And I saw the field ready and the seeds there. Amen. And after that happened, Pastor Wade came up. And he said, don't you see, this is... Isaiah 28. I want to tell you about the first after that we learned about, and it's this. Sowing after discipline. We learned about sowing, being sown into after the Lord took us through a season of discipline. I want to read in Isaiah 28, verse 23. Everybody ready? Here we go. It says this. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? There are a couple of things that we want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, this process that the Lord began to take us through. The first thing that he took us through was plowing. Are there any farmers here today? Perfect. So if I mess this up, no one will know. <laughs> See, in, in Chicago, it's not so much field plowing, but snow plowing. You know what I mean? So this is a little bit of a different context For me, the Yankee. Plowing, so I hear, turns over the soil. Right? So you have a field and that's maybe overgrown. And so you first have to go through with a plow and all the weeds, all the rocks, it literally turns over the soil to bring fresh soil on top. But that's not the only purpose. The purpose of plowing a field before sowing seed in that field is so that everything that is in the soil can be used for good. So that everything in the soil can be used for growth. Do you see what I'm saying? In Romans 8.28, one of our beautiful coffee mug verses. It says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things, everybody say all things. Work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And there's this picture in discipline of plowing. 
that what is hidden in us, what is deep inside of us, the Lord desires to overturn it so that everything, the weeds, whatever else grew up, what wasn't harvested the first time around, can be turned over and used for our good. Have you ever been through a season of there being turnover in your heart? Where the Lord has had to come into your life with some heavy machinery making deep ruts. And you may even be asking, God, how much more can I take? How much more will you continue to turn over? Do you know that God usually answers a little more? Just a little more. See, in verse 24, it says, Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? What's the answer to that? No. No. But guess what? There's something else. Harrowing. See, just when you think plowing is over, harrowing comes. The purpose of harrowing is after you plow, you have all these chunks of dirt, these unrefined chunks of dirt that are now on top of the surface. And when you harrow, you take these blades and it chops it up and it refines it. And there's two purposes. One, so that you can receive a seed. And two, so that you can receive the water you need for that seed to grow. See, a lot of times we go through the plow season, we're like, God, how much more? How much more? And he's like, a little bit more. And then the harrowing comes. This is a place where many people in the discipline process have an opportunity to jump off the wagon. To say, no, God, I've just been through a a season of deep plowing inside of my soul, God. I, I can't go through another harrowing, another tool, another moment of heavy machinery coming into my life. And what's the outcome of that? Look what it says in verse 25. It says, when he has leveled its surface. I want to pull up a picture real quick. If you can see on the right-hand side, that is a field that has been plowed. You can see the ruts. You can see all the junk that came to the surface. And then on the left, you can see a picture of what it means to be harrowed. Ready to receive. I want to ask you, are, are you ready to receive from the Lord? A seed that he desires to plant in your soul that will grow up into something beautiful. Because what it says in verse 25, it says, when he has leveled its surface. And the truth is, many people don't make it to this part. They make it halfway through. And they say, God, I'm done. I can't take any more of the leveling. But what we're trying to tell you is that after the discipline comes such a sweet sowing. It says in verse 25, look down. When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put wheat in rows? We see this picture of land being out of order. And I want to ask you, if your soul was, was in the picture of land, would your land be out of order here tonight? That there are rocks that have started to emerge, that there are weeds that are beginning to grow up, that there's been a season of of not tending to the land that God has given to you. See, discipline is administered so that the ground will be opened and something can be sown in. 
We want to talk just for a little bit. I, I feel like the tendency when, when we talk, especially in a setting like this, it's easy for pastors to hide behind a pulpit. It's easy to hide behind ministries. It's easy to hide behind, this is how the Lord is disciplining us uh, organizationally, but today we really want to talk about discipline that we receive personally. There was a season uh, of my life where the Lord had to discipline me. This was right around the one association meeting. So that he could sow something into me. So that a blessing could grow and that we could move forward. So there's a season where our, we had to move. And our, our, our lease was coming to an end. We weren't sure where we were going to go. So what does God do when he really wants to do heart surgery? He puts you closer in community, right? Yeah, and so there was a season where I moved in with Pastor Nick Slaughter. I know that's foreign to you guys here, living together, especially the pastors. Yes, that's that's the real sign of a cult. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Very true. Yeah, we're we're all there. And so I got to move in with uh, Pastor Nick Slaughter, but not just me, but my wife and my three boys, ages five, three, and eight months. We all moved in together. Nick brought his kids out of their rooms. He built a triple-decker bunk bed. He made a dorm room for them. And we took his daughter's room. See, there was something that I, I didn't understand. There was something inside of my heart that the Lord had to begin to plow and to begin to harrow. And it was this. How willing are you to give up your comfort so that your brother can be elevated? See, it's one thing as parents, as uh, leaders of our households, to, to do without our comfort so that someone can grow. But what about when you willingly put your children through the loss of something that was theirs so that your brother can grow, so that your sister can grow? See, I was missing something inside of me. And it was this deep, genuine love for my brother. I want to tell you today that the Slaughter family is the most loving family that I have ever known. That they are the most gracious family that I have ever known. They're the most kind-hearted and merciful family that I have ever known. And it would be a lie to tell you that we didn't go through some hard times in that season. Um, if If it surprises you, it shouldn't. But I'm pretty passionate sometimes. I can get a little outrageous. And that creates friction. But see, what the Lord had to do was put me in a place of discipline where I can learn how to be loving like my brother, Pastor Slaughter. I had to learn the discipline of of going through again a season that I thought was over. Of a season that I thought was behind me. He said, no, there's still something in you that needs to be worked out. And you are going to learn this from your brother. And after receiving that discipline, after feeling the tension of being there and the insecurity of, am I a burden? Is my family a burden? Uh, How are we going to continue to parent our families together and separately? As I was going through these and the Lord was highlighting insecurities in my own heart. 
Fears in my own heart about not letting go of control. And did I actually trust Him with my kids? Did I trust Him with my wife's heart? It was a season of discipline. Because He was sowing in me a love that I couldn't have known any other way. Look at verse 26 through 29. It says, As God instructs him and teaches him the right way. We'll come back to that. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Let me tell you that the context of this verse is a people who are going through discipline right now. And what he's saying when he says, Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten with a rod. What he's telling them is things that they already know. This is not our culture. This is not the way that we live. We don't have to go out and make bread. From what grows in our backyard. But these things that he's saying. They knew what he was talking about. And what he was saying is. If a farmer knows how to take. What grows in his field. And produce food for himself. How much more so. Does the God who created you. Know how to get out of you. Exactly what needs to come out. So when he takes you through discipline. He is so exact and precise to get out exactly what needs to come out of you. You can trust his methods. What happened to me during this season while Pastor Massey was living with us with his family. This is a righteous man. This man is righteous in the way that he lives. His family is righteous. I've watched them live. They have integrity in every area of life. He says and does righteousness. He runs his family with integrity and according to the word of God. He challenges me by the standard that he sets. What I realized in being in fellowship and in partnership with him was that the Lord was extracting out of me sin that needed to be gotten out. My problem was I didn't trust his methods. The tension doesn't exist because he's doing us wrong. The tension exists because we are afraid of what it's going to cost us and how much it's going to hurt. But the Lord creates these situations to extract out of us what doesn't belong anymore. Our problem is that we bail on the process. So then what happens is he's taking us through the process and he's saying, trust me, trust me. Does a farmer know how to get a field ready to be planted? Does a farmer know how to make seed into food? Then I know how to get out of you what needs to come out and something that's pleasing for me. Trust me in the process. But we bail from it. So then what gets left in us? All that junk. And all that sin. But what he's saying is, let me finish it so that I can make it ready for seed. Let me finish it so that it can be food to be consumed. 
What stuck out to me most from Isaiah 28. And by the way, Pastor Wade, how did you know that what I was describing was Isaiah 28? So remember this. The reason he was able to name Isaiah 28 was because they had already gone through it. Remember this because it's going to be key to our final points. The reason that he was able to identify, oh, that's Isaiah 28. And then that became a passage of scripture that defined the next several months and was huge in determining our vision as a church and what we would do with discipleship helps and the specific ways that we would train our people and raise them up was because he himself, along with his ministry partners, had already gone through this. And so he was able to share it with us. But what stuck out, what stuck out to me the most was verse 26. It says, His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Don't you know that it says His God instructs him, but the implication is as he goes. This means that I am walking forward. When do I move forward when everything is done? No, I am moving forward and he is teaching me as I go. This is happening as I am moving forward. This was key. And the next part says, and teaches him the right way. Or Yara Mishpat. Teaches him to make or throw right judgments. This is going I am throwing right judgments, almost like a farmer scattering seed and sowing seed. So now I'm moving forward. And what kind of confidence does this bring me then as a leader? I'll tell you this. You can say, oh, yes, I've been disciplined as a child. But fathers in the room, is there a new level of discipline that you undergo as a father? Oh, Oh, yes. So you can say, oh, I've been through that. I've learned that lesson. Trust me, in the new season, you will learn that lesson at a deeper level. And it will be necessary for you to undergo deeper levels of extraction and plowing and harrowing and crushing and getting rolled over with a cart, whatever is necessary to get it out of you. Do you see that? So that you can administer sound judgments, which will be like seeds as you go. So we go through this season of being disciplined and, and we're, we're getting worked on and God's taking out the heavy machinery on our souls and, and we're being sown into. We're starting to experience breakthrough in, in our relationship. We're starting to experience breakthrough as, as partners in ministry. And did you know that usually after a season of discipline and sowing comes a test? Did you, did you really get through the season of discipline that you were just put through? And so Pastor Slaughter and I, we began just praying and seeking the Lord on behalf of our church for for what is next. The next place we're going to go to is this. Inheritance after waiting. See, if sowing comes after discipline, inheritance comes after waiting. And we found ourselves in a season of waiting. Are you in a season of waiting right now? I'm telling you, warriors are made in the waiting room. Are you disciplined as you wait? Are you faithful as you wait? Are you single-minded as you wait for the Lord to show you the next steps? 
We found ourselves in a place of waiting. And as we were waiting, on the same day, at the same time, the Lord dropped into both of our hearts the same scripture. Let's go to Psalm chapter 37. Verse 1. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be worried or fret or consumed or anxious with the evildoers who are around you. During this time, uh, lawsuits uh, were being uh, surfaced. Uh, these are usually the times where people just have to confess to you as a leader that they've hated you. Long-time disciples who lived with you and who you've poured countless hours into. And there's all these things that just begin to get stirred up as you wait. Trying to break faithfulness, trying to break single-mindedness. And the Lord brought us to Psalm 37. It says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. During this time, we saw ministries collapsing around us in Chicago. Major ministries. Worldwide news of scandals. And we see this all around us. What a promise. It says, for they will soon fade like grass. Why? Because they don't have any roots. And wither like the green herb. We get to this part that I believe is very prescriptive for us. It's this, this literally like a recipe for how we can receive from the Lord when we're in a position of waiting. Look at what it says. It says, trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. And befriend faithfulness. You think of the story of, of the faithfulness and the friendship that Moses had with the Lord. How we could stand there face to face. How God says about him, everyone else I speak to in parables, but to him I speak plainly. It says develop a friendship with faithfulness. Befriend it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, I think it's interesting because in verse 3, remember, this is the time of waiting before the inheritance actually comes to be. And when we're talking about inheritance, we're not talking about our wildest ministry dreams coming true. We're talking about dwelling in the fullness of our God. Dwelling in the complete fullness and abandonment that comes in His presence. And we're waiting for it. We're, we're asking God. We're on our knees. God, give our people breakthrough. God, our church needs breakthrough. We are waiting for what's next, God. But look what it says in verse 3. This is before the inheritance happens. It says, dwell in the land. Did you know that there's a difference between dwelling in the land and inheriting the land? There's a story in Genesis 21, 33 and 34. You can go there. In Genesis 21, we see that there's a treaty formed with Abimelech. 
And there are two things we want to point out. There's a well that Abraham claims, and then there's a tree that is planted. It says this in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 32. It says, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We see this picture of Abraham going to Beersheba. And in this place, he claims a well. And a well was important because uh, this was basically jockeying for a position in this land. Uh, Beersheba doesn't have a lot of rivers or abundant uh, water flowing to it. So a well was a big deal. This is literally a, a strategic property. Beersheba is right on really the edge of the promised land. And Abraham goes and he claims a well. But not only that, he plants a tree. In the land that was promised that he would inherit, but not yet taking place. Do you dig a well in your neighbor's yard? No. Most of us don't. Do you plant a tree in your neighbor's yard? Where do you plant a tree? Where do you dig a well? See, right now he is making a claim that this is our territory. This is what the Lord has spoken to us. So not only am I claiming this well, that this is going to be a source of water, but I am planting a tree that is going to provide shade and nourishment for the generations to come after. Although I have not seen the fullness of the inheritance of what God has promised, I am planting something here that will not move saying, yes, I receive every bit of it. Nick, you had told me what passage you've been in the past few weeks. What was it? Last night was Psalm 37. Mm. That also is to the point near the end. Something is happening. Once we got a certain step in place with the church, And once we began to trust the Lord's discipline, trust his methods as a church, what happened is as we were moving forward, he started uniting our hearts together in a a deeper way, deeper than ever before. Because the vision was now becoming more and more clear. And as the vision, vision becomes clearer, the Lord begins to bring the people along that will be needed to accomplish the goal. Can I get an amen, anybody? Come on. He brings people and tools and resources along that will help you complete the vision that he's given you. So now what he begins to show us in Psalm 37, have you ever received, uh, you've been praying to the Lord for, for direction, for vision, and he gives you a passage of scripture that illuminates the way forward. You guys ever received that? He gave Psalm 37 and it was about inheriting the land. But it was different this time. This passage would contain five different scenarios, the answer within this passage. 
we would keep consulting it. We would come back to it over and over again and find the answers. For instance, we look, if you look at, uh, verse 32 and 33, when someone brought a, a lawsuit to us and said, we're going to take you guys to court for something that there's no way. It doesn't matter. We're not going to get into it. Easy to get lost, right? Look in verse 32. So we began to pray, Lord, would you show us the direction forward? He took us back to Psalm 37. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives, but the Lord will not leave them in their power or let them be condemned when brought to trial. And he showed us that. Okay. Thank you, Lord. We were slandered by a family from someone in the church who was saying that what we had done was wrong, that we had, we had done something wrong. We were tempted to get drawn into a back and forth debate about it. But instead, as we prayed, he took us to verse five and six. Look at this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. That last line means to show that you were right versus the wicked. And then we rest. Each of these we're learning. Wait a second. We rest. We see these giant ministries where we know they're fraught with sin that's been undealt with for decades. And then we see, wait, the wicked will perish, but the righteous will inherit the land. We're receiving this encouragement from Psalm 37. And we see a recurring theme in Psalm 37 of inheriting the land. This now gives us more clarity in the vision as we're going forward. Wait a second. Something is being inherited. All of a sudden, we're now entering into this process of inheritance. And this is what gives us greater and greater clarity. And he said it. What is it that we're inheriting? What is it that we're working towards? Can I tell you this? I don't value land. I don't value buildings. I don't value things. I don't value clothes. I don't even value uh, what people say about me and having the, the affirmation of man. I say that. I'm learning that deeper and deeper levels. Yeah. <laughs> Generosity. I, 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 what I value the most is when I'm in the presence of God. Amen. Now, what would it be like if you created a community of people or if the Lord created a community of people where throughout your daily life, Wherever you go, every interaction that you're having, you're dwelling in the presence of God. You feel the presence of God with you when you go to your friend's house, when you all get together for a meal, when you go out to the store together as a family, and you're dwelling in the presence of God 24-7. This is what he's doing. We were seeing this around us. He's building. That's our inheritance, to dwell in the presence of God 24-7. To feel everywhere that we go, to know that the seeds that were sown are now growing up and producing the food that we will eat. They were the seeds of sound judgment, of righteousness, and we're eating the fruit of it in the land. This is what's happening. And so we're seeing Psalm 37 is a picture of what it looks like to be guided by righteousness. He's already given us the answers. He's already prepared the way before us and we're moving forward. This is what was happening for us as a ministry. And we were seeing this connection grow stronger and stronger as a team. So now we get to the point, and this is what we really want to unpack for a while. So there was a 30-minute intro for you. 
I trust you. (laughs) Repair comes after repentance. Repair after repentance. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. Am I wrong? Were y'all just in Nehemiah? Okay, so the Lord has, I mean, this is not planned. We're not planning to be in sync in this way. And once again, all of this is to a point. But in Nehemiah, what's the context, the historical context? Trauma has happened to the people of God. Trauma. When people are eating their children... When everything that you know and love and value and that your identity is wrapped up in has been destroyed and has been burned with fire. That the people who are your leaders are led away in chains to a foreign land that serves foreign gods. When a wicked king purposefully puts in someone who is not in the line of David just to break your will, to show that God has forsaken his covenant to you. To try and play with your mind, even though that wasn't what happened. That's what the king was trying to do. To break the will, to break the hearts, to break the spirit of the people. We defined this for our people last week. This was trauma that they had been through. Ripped away from their homes, everything they know and love destroyed. Trauma in their families, trauma in in the temple, trauma everywhere. And their hearts had been wrecked over what had happened. So we see this picture, now we're in Nehemiah, that the inheritance has really uh, started to take place. And then trauma occurs, not because of someone else coming in and doing something to them against their will, but because they willfully committed sin against the Lord. It was a consequence for their own sin. So they're in a spot where the inheritance is right before them, and then they get removed from this place. I'm going to start reading in verse 3, and I'm going to probably read until the end, and we're going to go through a couple of things. It says, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Have you ever experienced the consequence for your sin that has left you in great trouble and in shame? It says, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I in my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. 
But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He closes saying, and we're going to come back to this a little later. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. See, Nehemiah finds himself in a place where the inheritance is before them. There's a wave of people that came back from Zerubbabel as he has started to reestablish the foundation of the temple. There's a wave that comes back as as Ezra establishes the Torah once again. And Nehemiah is asking God, would there be another wave? Would there be another wave of people that would be able to come back to what is rightly theirs? Did you notice in his prayer, he never prays about a wall. He never prays, if this was me, I would have said, God, please give me the wisdom uh, for this wall. Give me the strength and give me the tactics that I need. He doesn't pray about the wall because it's not really about the wall. He's crying out to God saying, Lord, would you restore the relationships that the people once had with you? This is what I wrote down. It says, A broken wall provoked a broken heart over a broken covenant due to a broken relationship. That this wall was in pieces, and it wasn't for the sake of the wall that he was crying out to God. He's saying, God, my heart is broken because your covenant has been broken. And because of the covenant has been broken, there was a relationship that was broken. God, would you restore people's relationship to yourself so that they could live once again in the land that is their inheritance? And he begins to cry out to God. We see this picture in, in 2 Kings 25. We're not going to go through this story. See, the thing is, I, I truly believe that we were never meant to be wall repairs. We were meant to be wall breakers. You think about the story of Joshua 6 and the walls of Jericho. That we were the ones called by God to break down the walls. In Matthew 16, 18, we see this picture where Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because we are the ones who come to destroy walls. We were never meant to build from ruins. We were meant to create ruins. And we came to a place with our body and in our church where we're saying, God, we see the rubble that people are living in right now. As a result of trauma, as a result of their past, God, would you bring their hearts, not just to fix their problems, but would you do something so that their relationship could be united with you once again? 
Because walls were always a picture of God's affirmation and of His protection. The first time we see the word walls show up is in Exodus 14, where the people are crossing the Red Sea. And it says in Exodus 14 too, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. I have a picture that was taken during the time of Moses. It's real. Imagine these walls surrounding you is is a picture of God's affirmation on your life. Saying, listen, I've called you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make a way for you. This has always been his heart. We see this again in Zechariah 2, 4 and 5, that Jerusalem was going to be a city without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock within it. It was going to flourish. It was going to be abundant. It was going to be this picture of of this friendship and this covenant with God's people that was going to be abundant. For I will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory within it. The broken wall is pointing to a broken relationship. If you notice in chapter 1, verse 1, it says in the month of Kislev. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says in the month of Nisan. He's fasting, he's praying, he's, he's calling out to the Lord. He's literally warring for four months for a 52-day battle. As a leader, as a discipler, I want to ask you, when you're with your people, are you willing to war day after day after day after day after day after day after week after month until the Lord provides the opportunity for breakthrough? Does your heart Break over relationships. Not over your own relationship. Does your heart break over the broken relationship of the people who are around you? When you see someone who is living in sin and rebellion to the Lord, do you get to this place where you fall on your face and you fast and you mourn so that their soul and their relationship can be restored to God? Elder Baj, would you stand up, please, and give us a third witness for this shirt? (laughs) Now listen, Pastor Massey and I packed separately. I brought one nice shirt. Most of the time. Most of the time. I had no idea what shirt he was going to wear. Elder Baj didn't know. Y'all may think I'm reaching, but let me say this. What we saw was that the Lord was binding our hearts together. What we've discovered is that he has bound our hearts together here. That we as a church were being bound together. But that the greater picture of what he was doing a thousand miles away was leading you guys down a similar path. Yes, before us. But he was binding our hearts together because we're moving 
to the same goal. Your goal is the presence of God 24-7. That's what you guys want more than anything. And you want it for everyone all over the world. And the reason you want it is because that's what he wants. Our hearts are connected. And in the same way, Pastor Massey and I are being shown the same verse at the same time. And y'all are going through the same places. is because the closer that we get to him, the closer that we're getting to each other. Like in a marriage. And we're watching the Lord, as he clarifies the vision, bring all the resources together that are needed for us to execute it. The Lord has need of a unified church. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you that what he began to show us also was that not that the church was in shambles. Hear me in what I'm about to say. Christianity is in shambles. When you look at what's being promoted out there, don't you weep? For the people who are being poorly shepherded or not shepherded at all under the name of Christianity, does your heart break for them? Don't you wish that they could know the truth like you have come to know the truth? You don't have to be ashamed about that. That's not a prideful statement to say, I wish that they could know the truth like I know the truth. It's not that's not a prideful statement. When we've come to know the truth and we've been set free, our hearts should break for those who are still living in blindness, in sickness, and in death. Our hearts should break for them. You know why? Because the model that was set for us, just like the word that was given, was not looking out for our own interests, but the interests of others. And to model the attitude of Christ and to humble ourselves and empty ourselves, make ourselves nothing, and be willing to be considered accursed. For the sake of others. When Nehemiah prays. I'm going to walk you all through this. But because you have already gone here. When Nehemiah prays. He says the sins that I have committed. Now this is 150 years after what drives them into exile. Nehemiah is a righteous man. You know who prayed a prayer similar to that? Daniel. Also a righteous man. Forgive me for my sins and the sins of my fathers, the sins we have committed. You know who else prayed it before Nehemiah? Ezra. Forget, you know where they get it from? Moses and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Because what they're seeing is the pattern of the word has been laid out for them. If the people sin, I will do this. But if they will repent, then I will gather them from where they've been scattered. Just like the song we sang tonight. We're poor in spirit. Pour out your spirit that the nations may stream to your throne. And this is what they prayed. Gather the people from where they've been scattered. Let me ask you guys this. Have you been praying and mourning and repenting and fasting. I know you have. I know that you have. Have you guys been broken over the past year and experienced the hardship and the plowing and the harrowing and the crushing? I know you have. I know you guys have. Has your heart been breaking for a world that is lost? I know it has. 
Have you impoverished yourself that others might hear the good news of the gospel? I know you have. We've been fasting, we've been weeping, we've been mourning for the people. And I want to tell you that in Nehemiah 1, I believe it's verse 9, a very big but appears. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Where would he bring them back to? Jerusalem, to Israel. Can I tell you this? If Christianity is in shambles, we can either spend our time and efforts. Now hear me on this. We can either spend our time and efforts trying to rebuild a man-made religion or we can return to the one true God. And we can follow his commands and his ways. Now, if you're trying to read between the lines, let me remind us. Every one of us in here know this truth full well. We are a branch grafted in to a tree. A branch as Gentiles grafted into a tree. And I want to tell you this right now. The tension that we've been feeling is we are being pulled by the traditions and the religions of man. The temptations of this world. And God is saying, return to me and obey my commands. The power in Nehemiah was that not only did he fast, mourn, and weep on behalf of the people. He put himself in that position and said, put it on me. Put it on me that we might be saved. Let me be counted with the wicked that we might be saved. Who else does this sound like? Jesus, we see that he allowed himself to be considered accursed for our salvation and to rescue us. He did not do this to create a separate religion. He did this so that all men might be drawn unto him and return to the one place where he had put his name. Now, listen, this is what God is doing. He is uniting the churches Together as one, as one. And we are returning to his ways, are we not? The reason that we came here was because we're now taking what you guys have created in acts and we want to bring it back to our people. Because we're all getting on the same page. When the pastors begin to talk about schools, we're on that same page. Why? Because this is what the Lord is doing. Be encouraged, life-changing ministries, because the road that he has you down, people are being gathered to your side. He is pulling people from all corners of the earth and gathering to, gathering them to your side as you walk the way of holiness, returning to his name, because we are living lifestyles of repentance. We're here to encourage you and to say what you're doing is good. And you're a blessing to us. And we are following in your footsteps. And we are joining you arm in arm. And God is giving us the same verses, the same passages, the same visions, the same dreams. He's taking us down the same road. You're not alone. You're not alone. 
There are other men and women who are sacrificing and are impoverishing themselves to live together, to love each other, to raise each other up, who are loving other kids, not their own, and teaching them the ways of the Lord, who are taking this seriously, who are saying no to wickedness and yes to righteousness, who are leaving status to come and do the Lord's work. This is happening and you're not alone. Be encouraged, people of God. Will you stand with us? When we think about where the Lord has us right now, we just want to give you a little insight to what He's called us to, to what we believe He's calling us to. In the last verse of chapter 1 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says this, now I was a cupbearer to the king. Many of you know that a cupbearer was a position of prominence. That this person would test the wine uh, before he would give it to the king. That he would actually guard against poison in the king's cup. At the end of Nehemiah, in, in his farewell, in chapter 13, verse 30, he says, Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign. And what we see the Lord doing right now in, his, our, in our body is calling us to be a cupbearer to the King of Kings. That we are going to guard against anything foreign or any poison going into our King's cup. We see this picture in Psalm 75, verse 8, that our God has a cup of wine in His hand, full of wrath, being ready to be pour, being poured out. And we are standing as a body saying, we will guard against any impurity that's coming in His cup. The way we began to do that last week, and, and we're hoping that we can do uh, right now, just, just for a moment, is that just like Nehemiah took on the leadership of the sins of the people, of what caused the relationship to be broken, we want to take on now, just as Christ did, and say, no Lord, it's because of us. It is because of me, it is because of I that these things have happened. Because God, we don't want anything foreign to enter your cup. Forgive me, God. Forgive me for what I've done. And so right now, we're hoping just to spend some time together and that the Lord would just begin to stir us. That He would just begin to stir us toward confession of who He is. Just like Nehemiah who says, God, you are awesome, that you are big enough to bring back the people that seem like they are gone out to the heavens. Lord, that you are merciful enough to receive us once again as we repent and confess and fall on our face before you. Would you do it for the sake of your people, God? Let's just begin to pray. Father, we stand.
Jesus, we just, we ask in this moment, Father, Lord, that you would forgive us the sins that we have committed against your name. Lord, in a lifestyle of repentance, of being willing to stand in the place and say, no, it was me. No, it was me. Forgive us for what's been done.